So a couple of weeks ago, all over this great city of ours, there was all of this celebration for hip-hop turning 50 years old. And um, yes, shout out to the Bronx, the birthplace of hip-hop. And every time I go somewhere and I, like, I, I hear hip-hop, it still bugs me out that what started in the basement in the Bronx is global. This is not a humble brag or anything, but my wife and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary uh, and we went to Greece and we were chilling one night at a restaurant, looking at a view of this ancient remains of the Parthenon, and we were listening to Jadakiss. And I was like, yo, we made it, son. We really made it. <laughs> it's crazy how far hip-hop has gone. Now, I'm a little froggy today. I'm wearing a blazer. So uh, I felt like I'll, I'll just say something that some people will find controversial. Other people just know it's the truth. Today's hip-hop just is not like 90s hip-hop. It's not. Thank you. <laughs> now, I get it. I'm the old dude with the receding hairline telling people that back in my day, it was the real thing. I, I understand the irony of all of this. But still, that being said, we can go bar for bar, line for line, and we all know the truth of what it was. I was doing a, a workout playlist the other day, and uh, one of Biggie Small's songs came on called What's Beef? And Biggie chronicled in the way that only Christopher Wallace could do the story of what it means to have beef. To all my non-hip-hop heads, beef is confrontation. <laughs> beef is a series of events that it's not just like an isolated fight. Like, beef is when someone really doesn't like you. And if they see you, they're going to harm you. Or as Biggie said, when I see you, it's guaranteed to be an ICU. <laughs> now, I'm not a tough guy. I grew up across from the lake. But <laughs> there's a couple of occasions in my life where I, like, legitimately had beef. One of them was when I was a sophomore in college. Um, and, you know, I wrote a check with my mouth that my butt couldn't cash. And for the first time in my life, I, I literally had people looking for me. And I knew that if they found me and I was caught slipping, something really, really bad would happen to me. And so for a couple of weeks, I walked around with like real beef. And it really was one of the worst three weeks of my life. A couple of things I learned when you're navigating, a couple of rules on how to navigate if you have beef. Number one, you never let your guard down. Never, ever let your guard down. If you walk outside like it's all good and it's not, something bad is very likely going to happen to you. Number two, never be caught alone. My roommate, when I was a sophomore, shout out to my man, he, he would wake up, even though he did not have a morning class, he would wake up with me to walk me to class because he knew if they caught me by myself, it would be over. Now, long before Biggie Smalls wrote those words on what's beef, Scripture has been talking about real conflict, real beef that doesn't die, that there could never be a truce or a treaty to end it. But the beef that Paul is talking about in Scripture that we're going to look at today is not beef with another person. It's not beef with flesh and blood. It's not beef with the person you can see. It's spiritual. But even though it's spiritual, it's real. It's enduring. It's passionate. There couldn't be no neutral in the situation. Here's Paul's words to us in scripture. He says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out 
the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this scripture packs a punch, and I think what Paul is letting us know about the conflict that is raging war right now, that never takes a day off, is that you should never let your guard down. If you are a person who claims to want to follow the ways of Jesus, here's what Paul is saying. There is a war going on outside. No one is safe. Yeah, I missed the Mob Deep reference. <laughs> There's a war going on, seriously, inside your heart. There's a war within you right now. And you should never let your guard down. Number two, you should never be alone. Now, I'm a big proponent of being away and having time to myself. When I say never be alone, I, I don't mean that you're always surrounded by people, but I do mean you don't go through seasons of life where you're not meaningfully connected to people who are meaningfully connected to you. The goal of Renaissance is not that everybody knows everybody, but that everybody knows somebody. And so my hope for you, even as we think about our community groups, that you and I are people who are connected uh, really with others. Now, as a pastor, I'll say two things that I think people that I am in danger and I think that you're in danger as well. I don't think that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you are going to be 100 miles in the other direction. I don't think that's the warning for us today. I think all of us have the tendency to drift and to get drowsy. And my hope today is as we read these words in Scripture to hear this, that it brings up a certain level of awareness and alertness in our lives so that we don't drift away from God's will for us. We're aware of the true nature of the conflict that faces us, and we don't get drowsy, we don't get sleepy, we don't let our guard down. So I want to talk about a couple of quick things before we hop into the meat of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Um, one of the biggest caveats I want to give up front is that when Scripture talks about the flesh, it, does not, it is not just talking about sex. I feel like when people hear the word the flesh, they think that if I am not right now Either if I don't care about what the Bible says about sex, or if I'm not engaged in stuff that the Bible prohibits, then this just doesn't matter to me. It doesn't apply to me. And this scripture is about so much more than sex. So much so that the scripture goes through a number of different things that have nothing to do with your body. Things like idolatry. What you, um, uh, things like jealousy, envy, selfish ambition. Right? This has nothing to do with what we do physically in our lives, but it is that much a warning for our lives. Now, when, when we talk about the flesh and we talk about these things, we're not saying that you will be as bad as humanly possible. We're not saying that. But all of us have the tendency to drift away from God's will. 
Specifically because we live in the flesh. You and I have desires that go against the desires of God in our lives. And Paul says, for those who practice these things, for those people who give their lives over towards these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a a very strong phrase that Paul uses. And it's not that one day you can earn it and the next day you lose it. The next day you did a better job and the next day you lose it. He's not talking about it in those terms. He's talking about people who their lives show that they were not under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to struggle, and that, Lord knows, we all struggle in a variety of different ways. All of us know what it feels like to disappoint ourselves, to live contrary to what we hope for in our lives. But what Paul is talking about here in the Scripture are not people who are struggling, but people who have given their lives over towards this, and that their lives show what they are actually all about. And so Paul gives us this warning that our flesh is in conflict with the Spirit. And I, I want to break it down for y'all just real quick. Uh, one of the best examples that I know to be true in my life, this might not apply to y'all. Y'all might be more spiritual than I am. Um, where I see this conflict, I see this war happening every single time, and it's forgiveness. I have never wanted to forgive someone who did me dirty. I have never wanted to. I have. But every single thing inside of my flesh is like, yo, they're going to get it. I want them to get every bad thing coming their way. There's nothing inside of Jordan Rice that wants, that desires, that yearns, that wants to forgive people who did me dirty. Why would I want that? But yet scripture calls us, Jesus tells us that we should forgive and that to not forgive, not just let them back in your life, not just give them a blank check to do the same thing over and over again, but to release the anger, the hatred that the, the debt that we feel that they owe us, it frees us. Now, I have to trust in those moments that I need to follow what Jesus is telling me, even though it goes against what would feel absolutely amazing. It would feel amazing to daydream about their downfall. And I do it sometimes. So these, when we talk about the flesh warring against the spirit, it's talking about allowing Jesus to lead you against the inclinations of your life. And that takes a whole, whole, whole lot of trust. So how do we actually do this? Um, I I was thinking about it in a sense of it's almost like walking through a a minefield uh, in life. But Paul gives us um, a scripture that I I want us to unpack a little bit. Verse 16, this is going to be what we spend the majority of the rest of our time talking about, about what it means to be led by the Spirit. And first thing and foremost, for those of you who don't know where you are in your faith, Uh, I think the first step to be led by the Spirit is to ask and to invite Jesus into your heart for real, for real, to to allow him to be Lord in your life, not just the Lord of your lips, but the Lord of your life. And Jesus promises us to give us the Holy Spirit to to lead us if if we do that. So how do you walk a life that is led by the Spirit? What does that even mean? Verse 16, Paul says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Paul presents two ways of living. You can walk by the Spirit, or you and I could carry out the desires of our flesh. And I love even that, uh, that image of carry out. In some ways, um, uh, NFL season is coming. Um, I've been a closeted Jets fan for the last uh, number of years, but I'm back. I'm back proudly to uh, claim my allegiance to the Jets, the best team in New York. And um, I think about it, (laughs) 
I think about it almost like a running back that gets the ball, right? They carry out, they have like an assignment, they have a goal, they have an end zone that they're running at, and they're trying to carry the ball down the field. You will always have opportunities to have the ball pass to you. You will want to go in that direction. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of our flesh. So what does it mean for you to walk by the Spirit? Does it mean that you get your Bible and get your Bible app open and you're walking like this with the, with the Bible right in front of your eyes? Uh, no. I do think it means a number of things, but I want to simplify it down to the three things that I think are the most helpful, how I understood it, what it means to walk by the Spirit. First and foremost, I think we need to discover God's view on a matter. If we're going to be people who are walking by the Spirit, we need to know what God says about things. And there's so many things in life that are just challenging to understand. Um, in Scripture, this is one of the concepts of discernment. To discern means to distinguish, to separate out by diligent search, to examine. To discover God's view in the matter means that you and I are hearing from God what you should be doing and then allowing those words, not your intuitions, not your desires, to direct the steps that you're taking. So for me, obviously sometimes scripture speaks clearly about something, but many times there's complex situations that there's not one specific verse on what you should do with your life. And you and I need to wrestle with scripture in community of people about what it means to follow God's will for our lives. But I want to say three things about discernment. What qualifies as something that we need to really seek to discover God's will on? It's first and foremost when all options in front of you seem to be good. If one is good and one is bad, if one feels good but is not good, then we can exclude that pretty easily. So first and foremost, in order for you to like really ask yourself those hard questions like, Lord, what is your will? We first need to be honest with ourselves that both of the options or all of the options on the table are actually good. Number two, it has to be a choice of some significance. Sometimes, you know, being a pastor, I feel like I can say this with a good deal of authority. Sometimes people who follow Jesus just be deep for no reason. Seriously, for no reason. There's, there's a theology in Genesis 3, which I think is one of the most important theologies for you to get. It's this. Genesis 3, God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the Garden of Eden, and he tells them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden except for this one. What God does in the early pages of Scripture is this. He gives us boundaries and freedom. There are boundaries that God has over our lives that you may or may not agree with them, understand them. Certainly, Adam and Eve didn't understand them. And God calls all of us who would follow him to submit to the boundaries he has placed over our lives. But God also gives us freedom which means the answer to a lot of your questions is, well, what do you want to do? There's a lot of people struggling with a lot of indecision right now. It might be about a job, and you don't know which job to take, and you're waiting for clarity from the Lord, and I don't think you'll ever get clarity. Seriously, this might sound spectacularly unspiritual, but I think that what God is saying is, well, which one do you want to do? Do that. Let me mess y'all up a little bit more, or a lot more. <laughs> For those of you in search of your soulmate. <laughs> uh, this is both for married people and single people. There is no such thing as a soulmate. There's, you will never find that in 
even a reference in the pages of Scripture. Now, in terms of selecting someone who you want to be in covenantal love with first your life, they do need to fit a certain number of criteria. There are some boundaries. Scripture, one of those is you should be equally yoked. You should, if you're following Jesus, I've never seen it work where someone who's following Jesus marries someone who's not following Jesus and they follow Jesus better. It always leads to a detraction from their, from their walk. That being said, there's probably 10,000 people that follow Jesus that are in your age range and live in your neighborhood or would move to your neighborhood that you could be with. And I think from there, you can choose. Who do you want to be in covenantal relationship with? It's not that deep to say there is not one person that your life was purposely created for that you will always be super happy for. And here's why this is so important for you to get. Because one day you will get married and you will smell their morning breath three months later. <laughs> and you'll be like, ain't no way this is my soulmate. <laughs> and there's a lot of people struggling with dissatisfaction in marriage because they put a weight on their spouse that their spouse was never meant to, cre- never, never meant to hold. They're not meant to fit you completely. Nobody is like that. Here's why. Everybody is a sinner. They're not like practice sinners. They're real live sinners. They're going to be selfish. The bent of their lives is going to be for them more than you. Most people have severe weaknesses in their life. There's some things that they're just not good at. There's other things about us that are more painful. There's real wounds that people have suffered and real damages that people have endured in their early childhood. And those wounds and damages are making them walk with a limp. They will never be able to walk in the way that you want them to. And one day you're going to look at this person who God has created, who's a sinner with weaknesses, with wounds and damages, and you're going to say, man, this can't be it. It might ne- I might need to get someone else. The an- that is not the case. Every single person on the entire planet has these issues. What it means to love someone is not to be satisfied and fulfilled by them. It means to commit to them. That's what love is. Love is sacrifice. Love is commitment. Love is selflessness. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. Why would love need to keep no record of wrong if they're perfect for you? They're not. And so, I don't even know how I got on this point. (laughs) Oh, yes. You're free to choose either one. You're free to choose. <laughs> um, I, want you to, I want you to make your decisions a little bit more deliberately about what you are free to do. God is not going to speak to you from a burning bush and tell you this is the person for your life. God will put people around you in your life that you can talk to about this person. Hey, what do you think about this person I'm actually thinking about giving my life to? I'm, I'm going to tie my life, the direction of my life with this person. What do you think about them? That you would submit these things to community, people who love you and who actually have the ability to speak truth into your life. Does this person meet the criteria? Are they, are they someone that I can journey a long road with? Would this honor God in my decision? If the answer is yes to those things, then what do you want to do? So we have freedom. Um, uh, number three, uh, things that require discernment is we are free to choose either, either one. Uh, when you have a freedom to choose either one, um, these are certainly some of the areas that we need to make sure that we are asking, God the, asking ourselves and asking God the question, God, is what is your will on this matter? There's some things that we're just not free to choose that don't require discernment. 
Um, my kids this past week went to summer camp, and um, one, of, one of my kids woke up, this mor- woke up one morning and said, Daddy, I'm not going to camp. And I was like, we liquidated your college account for you to have this summer camp experience, so you're going to go and you're going to love it, basically. Um, he was not free to choose and did not need to discover what our will was on that matter. <laughs> Some things that God has in your life that may feel like they go against what you want to do, but we're not actually free to choose these things. In those instances, God requires, God asks us, God invites us to trust him, even if we can't figure it out. So number one, uh, in order to really walk by the Spirit, we need to discover what God's view is of the matter. And this sometimes is a painful process that requires us to be proactive and to do the hard work ourselves. Number two, we need to decide to act on that divine perspective. And here's why this is such a challenge. Because for Jordan Rice, this means that I need to let go of control over my life. When God reveals to you what his view is on the matter, you might agree with it, you might not. It might make sense, it might not make sense. You might only know step one, and you're now wondering what's step two, three, four, five, and seven. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Genesis 15. It is the call of a man named Abraham. It is the earliest story of the journey of faith. And if you're wondering what faith looks like, Genesis 15 is a great example of what that means. Abraham was someone that God called. And scripture says that God called Abraham to leave his previous comfort zone, to leave his family, and to go. God did not tell Abraham the entire path, the entire road. He just said, leave, take a couple steps, and I'll tell you what's next. The journey of faith for you, what it means to walk by the Spirit, first and foremost means that we let go of the control of our lives that insist that we know what's going on and we agree with it before we'll take steps of obedience. I was reading a a book this week. The author said it better than I can, and if you don't like it, you can blame him and not me. Um, He says this, control manifests itself when we create the terms and conditions in which we will obey God. Obedience is about trust. And when we try to accomplish God's will in our way, we practice a thinly veiled form of rebellion. We face this temptation often. This is deceptive and dangerous because it creates the illusion of discipleship without the cost of obedience. In my own life and what I want for you as a church, I don't want any of us living with the illusion of discipleship without the cost of obedience. What is the cost of obedience? The cost of obedience is always the same thing. It's always not knowing what's going to happen next. It's letting go of control of our lives and trusting God with our uncertainty going forward. You know, I've, I've used this one story a, a number of times. Um, it's about a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she belonged to a church during Nazi rule, and her church opposed Hitler. And they would help Jewish people, and many of them were arrested for living out their faith in some of the most beautiful and profound ways that, honestly, I don't know that I would have the courage to live out. And when Corrie ten Boom wrote this book called The Hiding Place, she mentioned something that has been a goal for me. She's mentioned something that has actually been a guiding principle for me. And here's what she said. She said, never be afraid 
to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust your unknown financial future, your unknown relational future, your job future, your health, your safety, your security, the stability of your salvation, your legacy. The list goes on and on. Never be afraid to trust your unknown future to a known God. If we do that, then we can decide to act on what God tells us to do, not because we have figured out what the path entails, but because we know who God is. Now, faith in its very essence is confidence in the character of God. And one of the scriptures that has formed me and shaped me uh, over the decades is Romans 8 and 31, where Paul is preaching about Jesus, and he gets to this beautiful exclamation about how dope God is. And he says, if God did not spare his own son, if God gave us Jesus on the cross, how will he not, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? And then later he asks a question, if God is for you, who could be against you? And so when Jordan Rice struggles with the grip of control over my life, I think in those moments what I need the Holy Spirit to do is to redirect my focus away from what's in front of me and to put it on the cross where I can see the known God, the God who loves me dearly to the point of crucifixion. You know... One of the biggest stumbling blocks that many of you have is that you think God is tired of you. You think God is sick and tired of you. You think God is impatient. And you think that there's, you've hit the limit of what God would endure in your life. Look to the cross. The limit of God's goodness and God's love, it far outweighs all things in comprehension. We're not even able to put it down into actual words. And here's the point. As a result of God's love for us, as a result of God's care for us, as a result of Jesus on the cross for us, what he invites you to do is this. Decide to give him your hand, to put your hand in the nail-pierced hands and allow him to lead you, especially when you don't understand what's going forward. This is the journey of faith. Now, to do this, you're going to need a whole lot of community around you to encourage you to move forward because sometimes we don't know what the way is. You know, there's a lot of you right now struggling with grief, and you may or may not ever get the answer to why what has happened has happened. You may never know the why. And if you're waiting for yourself to understand everything, why God allowed these things to happen, I don't know that you'll ever move forward in faith. But if you put your hand in the nail-pierced hands, I think you'll be able to have the strength to move forward. So no matter where you find yourself today, whether it's grief, whether it's indecision, whether it's just inconsistency in your life, the goal for all of us is that we would put our hand in his nail-pierced hands and we would decide to follow him wherever he takes us. Now, Jesus is like that friend you have that you have no idea what he's about to do. You can't pin him down. But there is no shortcut to the journey of faith. At some point, you are going to have to put your faith in the master's hands and allow him to lead you. And that's what it means to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is always going to point us back to Jesus, back to trust, back to faith, back to obedience. And we have to decide that we are willing to let Jesus lead us. Last point is we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower our obedience. 
Number one, we need to discover God's will on the matter, God's views on our matters. Number two, we need to decide to lay down our control and to act on God's divine perspective. And number three, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower our obedience. Now, where Christianity differs from every world religion is this. It is not a manual for what you need to do. But Christianity is a living, breathing religion where Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and empower us and give us strength and direct us and redirect us. Jesus tells his disciples that it is better for you that I go away because when I go away, you will have the blessed and promised Holy Spirit. You will have God who is with us living on the inside of you. And so this past week, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, There's one scripture that comes to mind, uh, Philippians 2 and 13, it says this, and this is a profound scripture for you to get. For it is God who is working in you, listen to this, y'all, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. What Paul does in the description of Philippians is he takes away any credit that you would give for yourself about how good of a person or good of a Christian you are or aren't. He says, it is God inside of you that gives you the will, the desire to follow him. And it's also God who gives us the power to do that. And so there are many things that you and I will face this week, many things that you and I will face this month in which we will need the Holy Spirit to empower us to move in that direction. It's not going to be just your willpower. And so for me, this past week, I was thinking about it. I think what it just takes in, all, in very practical terms is it means awareness and humility. It means awareness that I'm not meant to lead my own life. And it's the humility to, to invite the Holy Spirit into my moment and to say, Holy Spirit, I, I need you to make me over. I need you to make me stronger. I need you to make me bold in this situation. I need you to give me courage. I need you to give me grace. I need you to make, make me able to forgive this person. Holy Spirit, I need you to do these things in my life because if not, I will go in the opposite direction. That's Jesus calling, so I'll wrap it up. (laughs) As you are going about your week, I hope and pray that when you encounter certain moments, you stop and you pause and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. You ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. You ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength You ask the Holy Spirit to change the way you think about certain things. You ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage to move because you don't have it in your own feet. And my hope and my prayer is that if we do these things, we will experience the blessedness of what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be led by His Spirit. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, you know the, the things that we all are facing right now. You know the things that we're going to face. And Lord, I, I want so desperately for my own life to be led by your spirit, to walk by your spirit, to not drift away, to not get drowsy, but to have an awareness of what your spirit is doing in my life and in all the lives of the people in this room. Lord, for those brothers and sisters in this room today who will today, for the first time, make that prayer and a declaration for you to have lordship over their lives. I pray that your spirit rushes through their hearts like Niagara Falls and pours inside of them a newness of life that they'll never forget. 
Lord, this week, would you lead us so that we may walk by your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.